This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the Church, using the resources of the Kingdom of God. This is our second episode in our new series, Putting on the Easy Yoke. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This series seeks to shed light on the meaning of this profound invitation that Jesus offers us. In part one, we learn that bondage is our problem, not sin. Today we explore how it is deception that keeps us in bondage, and it is truth that sets us free. Tori reviews the process of bondage and then takes us through the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and the steps to living in freedom as we abide in the Word of God. Here is Tori Bjorkland, President of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship in Part 2 of Putting on the Easy Yoke. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 11, 28 through 30. We'll read that together. Last week I started a series called Putting on the Easy Yoke. In the interest of time here, read this to you. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. I have found that to be true. So I'm going to quickly go through the few points that I covered last week. We started out in John chapter 8. And in fact, I think I want to read that quickly because we'll be talking about that quite a bit. John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking, interestingly enough, to the people, the Jews, who believed in him, it says. Verse 31, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they got offended by that. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone, how is it that you say you shall become free? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave to sin. And what's the problem here then? What is the problem that Jesus is raising? Well, I grew up being taught that the problem was sin. But Jesus used sin as evidence of the problem. He said everybody who sins is what? A slave. So last week, we saw that bondage is the problem. Bondage to sin. Sin is an evidence of that bondage, according to Jesus here. The problem we have is bondage, and sin is the indication of that. So we went through, talked about the process of voluntary slavery. And the first step that we talked about is that we deny both the symptom and the problem. Now, what was the symptom? 
Sin. What was the problem? Bondage. When I smoked, I used to make a joke about that. I can quit anytime I wanted. I know that because I'd done it a thousand times. That's a denial of the problem. Other times I said I've, that smoking wasn't a problem. But Paul talks about that situation in Titus 3. We also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. This is a delineation of some of the sins that show up when we are in bondage. So the second thing, the second part of this process is often that we recognize and try to manage the symptom while still trying to deny the problem. The third step is we give up trying and accept the symptom while trying to live with it. We just bear with the issue. And the final step in slavery is despair and we become despondent. Now, if you have had a history, long history with somebody in addiction, like to drugs or alcohol, you, you recognize these steps. And if, if you were with them throughout that process, you would see as they walk through that until eventually they become full of despair and despondent. And it's not just addictions, what we would recognize as addictions, that whole list that Paul was talking about. And in fact, if you think about Romans 7, Paul, when he was under the law, he had a struggle and he came to despair. And basically, woe is me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? This is, this is despair, and it was, it was a result of his slavery. So we talked about that. We don't have a lot of time to talk about that continuing today. And so then what we went into is the reality of slavery, that in order to be freed from bondage, God brings us into truth. In order to keep us in bondage, Satan tries to keep us deceived, as Paul was talking about in Titus 3. And a really good example of that is the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. Do you remember why the Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel? They were afraid of them. Do you know why they were afraid of them? Because there was a big pile of them, and they could overcome their captors. But they were kept in deceit. They didn't see themselves as having any ability to overcome anything. This is the reality of slavery. And the first part then in this bringing of truth is that Jesus has entirely dealt with sin. This is difficult for some people, um, particularly if you have the uh, five points of Calvin as your tenets of the gospel. But you can see a few verses here in Romans 5.18. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. 2 Corinthians 5.15, And Jesus died for all so that they who live might live no longer for themselves. Jesus died for who? For all. Now, I was clear last week, and I want to just specify, this does not mean that everyone is saved. I'm not preaching universalism here. Okay? But part of the truth that brings freedom 
is that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. Your sins are paid for. But the second part of this truth is that it requires participation. Your sins are paid for. What's the problem? Bondage. Why is sin not a problem? Because your sins have been paid for. The problem is bondage. And your freedom requires participation. So let me refer you back to John 8, 31. What was Jesus' solution to bondage? Now, he brought up the topic, right? And it was after he brought it up that everybody kind of had a cow. They're like, wait a minute. We're not in bondage. Crazy thing, by the way. What was their certain condition at that time in regards to their political standing? They were a captive nation under the Romans. Ridiculous. Talk about deception. They were completely deceived on every front. But Jesus wasn't talking about the Romans when he talked about their captivity, was he? What was the context under which Jesus brought up this idea of bondage? He gave them a solution to their bondage. They said, wait a minute. I don't have a problem. You should really deal with that problem. I don't have a problem. No problem here. Well, how did Jesus suggest that they deal with their problem of bondage? Continue in the truth. Abide in the truth. Now, we have these... We, we think, you know, we learn these religious terms or we put religious connotations on perfectly good terms. Abide. Well, I brought up last week, I don't know if anybody else says it, but once in a while I hear, or I say it myself, welcome to my humble abode when somebody comes over to my house. Have you ever heard that? What is an abode? Our abode is where we, it's where we live. It's where we do our living. So when you abide in something, you make that the place where you do your living. It's the place that you live. It's the place where you hang out. And Jesus said the solution to bondage is to abide in his word. And by doing so, you will become his disciples. And by becoming his disciples, you will know the truth. And it is that truth that brings the power to set you free. You see, our part is the abiding part, not the freeing part. Our part is the abiding part. The freeing part is the part of the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in concert with the Holy Spirit, who has come to guide us, lead us, bring us into all truth, we become set free. We have a misunderstanding of grace in our Christian, Western Christian culture that basically says that any effort on our part is opposed to grace. And I don't believe you will find that in the Bible. And I like the way that Dallas Willard puts it. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. What's the difference? Earning is doing something to try to deserve an outcome. When you 
get a paycheck, you've earned it. Well, let's hope you earned it. And if you didn't earn it, you won't get very many of them. Effort is not in opposition to the gospel of faith. Boasting is. It's that anybody should boast. In, in Romans 5, it says that it's opposed to boasting. Where is the boasting? Now, there's a progression to Christ's solution to bondage. It includes us making our abode, which is where we choose to dwell. I think he lays out this process fairly well and talks about it in his parable of the sower. And so let's, let's turn there, Matthew chapter 13. This is kind of long. I'll start at verse 3, though. I, there's, there's several pieces in here I want to point out. And we'll start in verse 3, chapter 13, verse 3. He spoke many things. He's talking about Jesus. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop some a hundred Fold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and said, why, why do you keep talking in parables? And he said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So let's take a look at this process a little bit here. 
Jesus said, the sower went out to sow. Now, who's the sower? I believe that God himself is the sower. We have, like for example, Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God spoke in many different ways in the past, but now he has spoken through his son. I believe that what we're talking about here is God through various and sundry ways speaking his word to the world. And we have in Romans 1, for example, that God through creation has spoken, has given a witness of himself, not only through creation, but also through conscience. This is, this is Romans 1, uh, 18, 19, 20, you'll find this. God has been speaking and he is the sower. And what he has been saying, and interestingly, by the way, what was the seed? It's not just any word of God, if you look at this. It's the word of the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked quite a bit about that in the past. But what was Jesus' gospel? Now, we have the gospel of Matthew. We have the gospel of Mark. We have the gospel of Luke. We have the gospel of John. We have the gospel of Paul, by the way. He said, according to my gospel, what was the gospel of Jesus? The kingdom of God is available to everyone. The fact there was a kingdom was, was no news to anybody. Everybody knew that in Jesus' day. Who it was available to, that was the amazing thing. And since John the Baptist People were rushing in. Remember Jesus said that? People were crashing the gates of the kingdom because they had no idea prior to that that it was available to everybody. And this was Jesus' message and John the Baptist's message, incidentally. I believe that Jesus preached the gospel of God. The eternal gospel that the, that the angel preaches in Revelation. The gospel that Paul says was preached to Abraham and to Noah. The gospel of faith that the writer of Hebrews said was preached to all of these people. You go down that list and you see every time that he mentions one of those, not every single one, it is either implied but sometimes explicitly stated that they were seen as righteous. They pleased God. God saw them and counted it to them as righteous. He doesn't use those words exactly, but you, you go back through uh, Hebrews 11. This is the gospel that God has been preaching to mankind throughout all eternity. It came about because of Jesus Christ and would never have been available throughout any time of mankind had Jesus not provided a propitiation for the entire world. He was the means, but he brought the same gospel that Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and James, John the Baptist, and Peter, and others brought. Okay, it's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, is uh, the word of the kingdom is the, is the seed that's being sown. So God does the sowing. That's the first step. That's not our part. 
God's taking care of that part. And, and yes, we can be sowing. I can be sowing right now. I can be used as a means by which to sow. Now, if you've ever, I, I've never done any farming. I have no intention of doing so. Um, but I have gotten one of those little um, uh, grass seeders, and I pour grass in the, in the little thing, and I spin it, and it goes, grass goes all over. Okay. Who's doing the sowing? Me. Who's doing the distributing? The little finger. Okay. We're a thinger. God spins us around and we, we shoot the word out. Hopefully with a little more distinction than my little grass seeder. But we can be a, an instrument used by God. But God is ultimately the sower here. That's his part. And he sent Jesus into the world to testify, testify regarding God and to provide a revelation of God. He sends us out as preachers. But the next step <clears throat> is that it must be heard. Hebrews 4.2 says, We have had good news preached to us just as they, he's speaking of the Israelites when they were in Egypt, and Paul also said, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We must hear to believe. And we play a role in that revelation. We play a role. It's not a primary role. I just, I don't want to overemphasize it. But it's an important role. The primary role, we would have nothing to hear were God not a sore. There would be no seed if God were not the God he is. But we play an important role. Jesus told his disciples that he speaks to the crowds, and more particularly, I would say, the religious establishment of his day in parables. Why? Because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand, he said this condition was a result of their choices. Did you pick up on that? They have closed their eyes, he says. They have closed their eyes. And he said their heart has become dull, and with their ears they can scarcely hear. He said they closed their eyes because they did not want to see, nor did they want to hear, because they feared what? Being compelled to turn. Being compelled to turn. To repent. You see, God has been sowing. Romans 1 is, talks about this. He has been sowing, but he does not compel people to go against their desire to rebel against him. You read Jesus speaking to Jerusalem. He's coming in just before his death. And he says, Jerusalem, he's weeping. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that I send you, something like that. How I have, what, sought to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it. John said in his gospel, the Pharisees rejected the will of God for their life. Did you ever read that? They did not want to turn, and how do you keep from getting overwhelmed by reality? Have you ever had somebody, when you remind them of something that is not very nice to think about, 
They go, oh, don't tell me that. I don't want to think about it. The thing that brought about my conversion was being confronted with a truth that I already knew but had been avoiding for a long time. I started out using drugs because I thought it was cool, fun, and exciting. I ended up using drugs so that I did not have to think about the thoughts that were continuously going through my mind, primarily about God. I was afraid of God. The first step after sowing is hearing. And we have a role to play in that. Jesus placed squarely on the shoulders of the listeners the choice of hearing and understanding. In their case, he says, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. And on the other hand, he said to his disciples, your eyes and ears are blessed because you use them appropriately. That's basically what he said to them. Now, they were in a special time where they were seeing with their eyes, literally, the redemption of God. But that was part of their blessing as well. But we have the opportunity to hear the same words that they heard. We have an opportunity to listen, to receive. So the second step is hearing. The third step is receiving. Did you notice that about the person who was the rocky soil? He received it gladly. If you uh, read some of the processes and procedures that were used by... Uh, Billy Graham and his organization and stuff in their training manuals, they actually take a page out of the book of Charles Finney and refer to the people that come forward as inquirers. And, you know, roughly about 95% of the people that come forward within five years are no longer continuing to walk as believers. This is the tragedy, but it's a beginning and it's the first step. Without receiving, you go nowhere. The third step is receiving. The person represented by the road in the parable did not receive the word, but the rest of them did. So in addition to hearing and receiving, we must also continue or abide in his word. We must make the word of God the place where we dwell, a reality that's as real as our home. This is the man who is represented by the good soil. He hears, he understands, he receives he adopts, he abides, and it results in a bumper crop. God takes the responsibility for sowing. His next move is based on our response to the word that was sown. What's God's beef with the world in Romans 1, 18? The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. God's beef with the world is that they have refused the word that has come to them. Even the minutest word that has come to them. And they're like the rich man who died and his brothers. You remember what Abraham said to him? When he said, send Lazarus back to my brothers and warn them about this place. If they didn't listen to the word they have, they wouldn't even listen to a man if he came back from the dead. And what happened to the rich man's brothers when Lazarus did come back from the dead? They tried to kill him again. All right. 
If we choose to abide in his word, he chooses to accept us as his apprentice. He chooses to school us in the ways of the kingdom. He does this by revealing more to us. And this process continues. He sows more. We understand more. We receive more. We abide in more. We bear more fruit. Remember Peter said, if these things are yours and they are increasing. Do you remember that? He said, to your faith, add, what, what, faith only? And he gives this list. And he says, if these are yours and are increasing, by the way, that's grace. This isn't works of the law, but there's effort involved there, right? He said, He's the same one, Peter is the same one that said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. How do you do that? You start by hearing, receiving, and abiding in what you do know. And through the grace of God, you will come to a fuller understanding. Until, Paul said, God has given to the church Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the building up of the church. What? Until we, what? All attain to the unity of the faith and the and full knowledge, a full understanding. Become the type of people who have a complete understanding of what this whole thing is about. And it, of course, gets completed when we see him as he is, right? But it it isn't, we know about the atonement, and we get everything when we go to heaven, and nothing happens in between. The fruit's not in heaven, people. We become on earth the type of people that God wants living with him when we get to heaven. Okay, if you use the analogy as we're used to it, you got the road, you got the shoulder, you got the ditch, and then comes the field. Okay, you can make that journey from the road to the field. And I've seen many people do it. And I don't think Jesus here is teaching that all is lost for the seed, for the person who is the rocky soil. In fact, it was the prophet Jeremiah who said, break up the fallow ground. Why should we break up the fallow ground? And we can talk about what it takes to do that, but it's, of course, by the grace of God. But we have a part to play. The prophet said, do this. Break up the fallow ground. Why? So that we become prepared for the word of God. Okay, as this revelation comes, we have the option to meet that word with faith or not. Now, uh, in the past, we've talked about the law of the pendulum and how if it goes from A to B, it doesn't come back to A again. And if you actually have faith in that, you'll sit there even though the pendulum started at your nose because you know it won't return back. Faith is having complete trust and confidence in something or someone. That's what the definition is in the dictionary. And I say the biblical definition is to have that appropriate action 
tied to complete trust and confidence in someone and something. So this idea of faith is when the word of God comes and we hear it and receive it, we put it to use. We sing that little song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Who's the wise man in that story? He who hears my word and what? Obeys, Obeys acts on it, puts it into use. Who actually thinks, you know what? The things that Jesus taught are a better option than what I hear over here. When we do that, he continues the process of revealing more and more to us. Now, Paul understood this process. Timothy 2, 4, 224, sorry. Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him. He wrote in Corinthians, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, remember, again, Romans 1 talks about how people get to that point. By rejecting the truth that comes to them, they become subject to being deceived. And don't misunderstand Paul here that you think that he is proposing that the unbelieving had no choice in becoming that way. Even a willful ignorance is ignorant, though. A willful ignorance is a reality. People actually try not to learn or hear or know any more about something they don't want to have any part in. How many of you know how to snort cocaine? There's a handful of us. You have no interest in learning how to snort cocaine probably or, or inject heroin or something like that. Freebasing, you know. I mean, this stuff is not interesting to you. You have a willful ignorance on a lot of things, and thank God you do. You've made choices to be ignorant in the ways of evil. Others have made choice, choices to be ignorant in the ways of righteousness. A willful ignorance is nonetheless ignorant. And Paul and God understand that men must believe their opinion. Have you ever not believed your own opinion? You can't do it. People must believe their opinion. We are sincerely deceived even when it is because we desire to be. But the other side of that coin is we don't have to remain that way. And this is the beautiful part about God. He's always sitting. Isaiah talks about this. God is sitting on the edge of his seat waiting to hear from us. Or as some have said, that atheist prayer. Do you know what the atheist prayer is? Oh God, if there is a God... Please save my soul if I have a soul. When he answers, we must understand that we must maintain that posture, though, if he is going to continue his work in us. Paul told the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By renewing of your mind, that you might prove what the will of God is. 
This is a posture that we need. It's a posture of renewal, of a willingness to receive from God new understanding, new conviction of sin, new ways that we might participate with what he is wanting to do. This is a posture of that process continuously going forward. That is abiding in the word of God. One grain at a time. One growing season at a time. Sometimes it's corn and sometimes it's soybeans. Sometimes it's watermelon. I want to leave you with this. I quoted this last week. Just the difference between the way the world thinks, the way God thinks, wants us to think. This is abiding in beliefs. Abiding in a way of thinking. So, the world... They say there's a heaven for those who wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know, only the good die young. It's a way of thinking. And people abide in this. They build their house on this reality. Here's what it says in Psalms. A day in the courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How blessed is the man who trusts in thee. The house of the reality that will last forever is built on this reality. And I would encourage you to adopt this as your mentality. Let me pray. God, we need your word. We need your grace. And I thank you that you have provided a means for both to reach us and to transform us. Help us to be in the right position, the right posture, to adopt the right attitude, to have ears that will hear and eyes that will see. Give us the right humility that we might be willing to learn from each other from you, from the Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.